uh, I'm hearing these this talk of impeach Biden if they get the House. What do, what do you think of that? Oh, I mean, that's just insanity. It's insanity, <laughs> yeah. but... I, I have, I'm not. Are you, are you, are you what's, betting what's, against that? What, where were you finding this, this talk about impeaching Biden? If you, you, if you uh, plug it into the internet, you'll find a site that tells you you're right. All right. Jordan. Oh, now, Jordan, no. I know it's good to have you back. I know you don't want yeah. to talk about soccer. I don't. I don't really want to talk about soccer. Other Neither. than this point, I want you to react to this point. A guy who played baseball uh, at Ohio State, and he was very good, and he plays a lot of baseball, okay? And he loves baseball. And he says, you know, no little league, you know, there's no leagues coming. There is a little league, of course, but there's no people really playing baseball. And he said, you know, that's because we gravitated towards soccer. And 40 years ago, they promised that this was going to be the biggest thing and we were going to have the greatest players in the world. And he was making the comment to me the other day. He said, we don't have one great American soccer player in the entire world. Is that, I mean, is that true? I mean, do you know anything about this? I mean, I know nothing about soccer, except that people tell me I would love soccer. And every I have I have friends who love soccer. They're obsessed with soccer. It's not, it's not an American sport. I'm sorry. Chuck Klosterman has a great article about it. He talks about it's, it's the easiest entry for play. I get it for kids. You can throw a ball out there and you can be a child who has no discernible talent and you can literally sit down <laughs> on the field. You can sit down on the field and the game will exist around you. You will not be an impediment. There's 10 other people who will pick up the slack or do nothing. And that's okay. Because guess what? Even at the end of soccer, if nothing happens at the end of soccer, it's still considered a match. It's zero, zero. And they don't, they they say, that's it. We all did a good job. And so I feel like more traditional American sports, you have to, baseball, you have to walk up to the plate. You either hit, get, get on base or do not get on base, it comes with pressure. Basketball, it's constantly moving. Soccer is the sport for the person who wants to not do anything and still be considered an athlete. And for me, that's a very anti-American ethos. Well, why and therefore, do you think I do not that after 40 it. years, well, after 40 years, there's not one U.S. player who ranks in the top ranks of of in the world? Why? why I mean, I don't understand. Why would that be? Is We're it because we don't... We, we don't... we don't care. I we don't care. It's I get it. The the world can have their soccer, but we came up with some pretty good sports here. We came up with uh, brain injuries. Number one, we're the best at the brain injury sports. We are so good at that one. Basketball. We invented basketball. Right. And world's and catching up to us in that, though. You notice that the world is. I think but how because come it, we're not catching up. How come we're not catching up to them in soccer if they're catching care. up to us? And, yeah, we don't okay. care. I think, I, I think we don't care. Right. I think. I, I, I think that might be don't. it. I, it's just. Do I think you it, care? Is there a part of you that cares or tries to care about soccer? Well, we have a team here. We have a big, beautiful stadium, and it's fun to go, and everybody gets excited. But I, uh, you know, I've been grew up baseball and you know basketball, but uh, my kids played soccer. But you know what's interesting about it is is I wish there was soccer when we were when I was in school. Because I would have been probably pretty good in soccer. You know, you don't get your head bashed in. You can run as fast as you can. You kick the ball. I mean, we didn't have it. Did you have it in your school? I think so. I think there <laughs> were. Ki- I think <laughs> it existed in my school. I, I, I think those kids who are a little bit pretentious and a holes. I think that's what they did after school. Unlike <laughs> oh, the cool kids like myself who played 
could play tennis after school, a true American sport. There you tennis. go. So, so, okay, so Serena, greatest uh, woman player in, uh, in history, do you think? The GOAT? I think I would I would go goat. I think it's a hard hard time uh, hard to find somebody else. I mean, I do think you know I'm not an expert on uh, tennis, and tennis has had a lot of really impactful female athletes. Uh, Martina Navratilova. Uh, socially, we've talked about Billie Jean King here, right. but Serena Serena the goat when it comes to somebody who just destroys and owns a sport. It's an amazing story, isn't it? With mm-hmm. a, with a dad who. Venus and Serena and living coming out of Compton and I, it's just like a miracle. Uh, it's just amazing what uh, what they've been able to do. And speaking of tennis, you know, Djokovic, of course, he can't play in the U.S. Open. Now he could play in England, but he he can't play at the U.S. Open because he didn't get vaccinated. What isn't that sound a little crazy? Yeah, well, he also. He, if he wants a point, he needs to hit the ball between the lines. There's rules. He has to follow them. He understands. Uh, get a shot, Djokovic. For God's sakes, I do you want to do you want to make a billion dollars doing a sport that's all about you? Not even for a team, but just like oh, I like I, I this narrative that we have to feel sorry for Djokovic. Like you know what, this poor guy, he just wants to come in here, make a billion dollars, and then leave. <laughs> that's it. It's like all right, are there any any other doctors or climate scientists who also don't have the jab that we can maybe find a workaround for? Uh, that that's let let's let's get those people in first, and then let's worry about if Djokovic should play. Now we we're, we're going to have a, speaking of not getting vaccinated, so we're going to have a new COVID booster coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, Right after Labor Day. What do you think? I hope it's the kind that makes people believe in science and brings us all together. Is that if there's any science behind that, I will support it. I'm, I mean, I'm pro booster. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. When do you think we can get it? I mean, I'll get it today if it's not available today. Well, I think the, the very old like yourself will be able to get it very soon. So you should feel good. The folks like you can get the booster. Dear God, if you need help getting to the hospital, let me know. I'll <laughs> arrange an Uber for you. Uh, hey, you I know. am taking my uh, Tesla uh, to Pittsburgh. <laughs> It'll be my first out-of-state trip. Wait, I'll be by myself. This is what I. You, I yeah. think if there's if there's any question as to why you didn't get the GOP nomination. It's the phrase I'm going to take my Tesla in in regards to also getting a booster shot. This is what you were may, you running? What were you doing? Governor? I don't know. I just I I guess that's that I have to I have to figure that into my calculations. Now you know, remember we had Mike Massimino on the show, and he we of did. course is that great astronaut. Uh, what do you think about them going back to to the moon? I'm pro moon. It feels like you know. I, I wish that we were at the point where it was like, we've been to the moon, let's go to that next thing. There's something funny about NASA being like, guys, we're going to the moon. I know we've been there. There's been a couple steps backwards. But we're going to try to get back to where we were before, which feels like a metaphor for this country in many ways. But I'm I'm pro-moon. I'm, I hope it gets off the ground when we're recording this right now. I know they they just canceled the, the first launch date. Fingers crossed they get that second launch date. And it sounds good. Artemis, good name. Sounds a little bit evil, but also interesting, dynamic. And then Artemis Three is where they send humans to the moon, and then they get to do things like what we did in the '60s before there was the internet. But, but, but they'll do it now. There'll be better pictures, and America will all come together as one and and be joyous about our accomplishments. I would Are want you- to go up there so I could hit a golf ball because uh, I sure can't hit it very far on the Earth. So Shepard did that, right? Wasn't that Alan Shepard's yeah, thing? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think. I don't know who it was that hit the golf ball. 
but There's, still cir- circling, you know. That's what they what said. Can I say? Yeah, he was he qualified for the Saudi tour after that hit. <laughs> so onto some serious. That's where things. the real money is. That's where yeah. the real money it, is. Yeah, some serious things. You know, isn't this amazing? The shelling that's going going on around that nuclear plant. I mean, can you even believe this? This is when we think it can't get any worse. Now they want to blow up. You know, I don't know what's going on there. They they don't seem to have hit the plant, but there's talk that the Russians want to disconnect it from Europe and add it to their own. Uh, a power source, which creates another problem for Europe. I don't know if you've been reading about it. It's it's really terrifying. It sounds completely terrifying. Yeah, it feels like it's the it's the threat of some a type of a, a nuclear attack, but in a different form than we've ever seen before. Uh, yeah, I, I I everything I read right now just feels like they're they're holding it over the Ukrainians in a way that you know it's it's hard to have faith that they'll make the right choice but they they have something really dangerous there so when you reflect back on your trip over to central europe uh why don't you talk a little bit as you think back on it now give us a couple impressions you know i was you know i was over in hungary for almost two weeks and you know on the upside of it all we were focusing on sort of the the slide from democratic norms in budapest and in hungary but what gets overlooked is the the folks there and the people there who were so supportive of the immigration that was taking place. You know, it was, we were there a few weeks after the initial invasion of Ukraine and so many Ukrainians were coming into Budapest. And um, I, I met a man who was a late night television host, comedian in town. He was a doppelganger of the things that I did in America. And what he was doing with his time was he was organizing places for people to stay uh, getting them cell phones, getting them on their way to find safe havens. And it was it was a real reminder that the people of Hungary were coming together to try to solve this very human crisis. And to see that up close was so so moving and so powerful and something I will, will never forget. Um, so when I hear these stories uh, about the Ukrainians over there, I... You know, it's it's so easy to get caught up in the glut of news and the news stories, the new headlines, and everything gets buried, and it feels so overwhelming. But I I did have perhaps the luxury of being able to see up close these people who were affected by it, to talk to them, and to see the other people who were trying to help it, and and to be reminded over and over again, this is this is human casualties, this is disrupting families and lives for generations, um, and you know. Whether, whether whether it's it's a prayer, whether it's money, whether it's it's fighting, I just hope I hope they're in our thoughts and hoping the best for them. Well, there's so much in the news, Jordan. Let's mm-hmm. uh, first of all, let's your reaction to uh, to Liz Cheney's defeat uh, as she tried to get uh, reelected. Shocking, shocking. No, it's <laughs> we saw it coming, Liz. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think she. She, to me, and I'm very curious about your take on it all, I'm very impressed with what she has done at the January 6th hearings. I do think it 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 does show putting country above party in a way that is so, so rare. I would, I would love, and I keep waiting for that moment where those types of actions are then supported by people in their community being like, yeah, that's the kind of person I can get behind. But time and time again, it's like, nope, throw that person out. Yeah. Get whatever new crazy person's in here. And so, you know, I think... I think it's a bummer, and I I really think I keep looking around to try to find these examples in the modern GOP of of some of the more moderate positions, some yeah. of the more classic GOP positions and characters that you and I have talked about, 
to see if anybody there has shown success in that party, and I and I don't see it, and 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 that that scares me. What was your take? What do you what do you? I mean, you know, obviously it was a she wasn't going to get reelected. The whole party apparatus turned against her. I was surprised. I, I think guess I was surprised at the margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not an expert on her state. Uh, I saw her father do that commercial. You know, he looked like John Wayne doing that commercial. I, I wasn't that taken by that. But um, I had a chance to talk to her after the election. And, uh, you know, I, I told her that uh, she had become a role model and example for lots of people. You know, now people will look at her. She's not going to go away. I mean, I hope you agree with that. She's not going to go away. The interesting thing, though, where does Jordan, she go? Where, where do you think she? Well, goes? I mean, maybe she runs for president. I kind of doubt it. Um, I don't think she would go into Biden's cabinet, but you know, I don't think so. Maybe she becomes. Maybe she's she can travels the country and make speeches and. and Maybe maybe be connected to a, a university and be able to teach. Uh, I don't. I just don't think uh, she's just going to disappear. I mean, I I don't. I think it's going to be up to her uh, as to what she wants to do. But she wouldn't change this. I mean, she wouldn't change what she's done in order to have won that election. There's no way she would have because this was this was inside of her. This was in her soul. And I just told her things. You know, just be upbeat because things are going to happen and you're going to be really, you're going to be really proud of what you've done and people are going to praise you. One thing that is, that I do know is true is all these Democrats who praise her and say how much they love her, they wouldn't vote for her. And I told her, I said, I have that experience too. The only, the people that run around say, we love you. I said, what party are you in, Democrat? They were going to vote for me and they were going to vote for her. So I don't know, but it's politics is a long game, and she's still a very young woman. She's things are going to change, Jordan, and that's I, what makes it. I I don't know if I share your optimism. I again, I respect what she is doing right now, right. right? But I do think the what she gets for it is, I mean, the feeling of not being a shell of a human like many of her compatriots right now, and standing up against what is what is right and what is good for this country. But like you said. As as much respect as I have for her in this decision right here, she's not getting my vote in a million years for <laughs> so many of the other things I disagree with her about. It's like, good on you, Liz Cheney. I hope you feel good about yourself. I don't think you're going to be politically relevant. Every Democrat I know is so happy for what you've done and will never vote for you in a million years. Yeah, but, it, that's kind but, of sad, isn't it? It's sad, but I, that's where I think I don't I don't know where her places and i don't want to i don't want to yeah. rag on liz cheney for it but i do yeah. think i look at it right now and it's like she got destroyed locally she's yeah. part of a family that is beloved in that that uh in the the gop or at least was and and now you see this the way she is treated there i i don't see a path right now there is not an appetite no, there's, there's for not that base right now you know look, look i mean it, jordan you know this from from your career, okay? You're out, out there in Chicago, you're scrambling around, trying to have something happen, and then all of a sudden, the break comes, right? I mean, it doesn't. It takes a long time. You probably didn't anticipate when you were going to get your breakthrough. It's true in politics. You know, what is true today is not necessarily true tomorrow. And I don't think the Republican Party will stay like it is today. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't think it will. The problem you have is all these... Trump people who are, you know, they are basically in charge of the of the party apparatus. That'll change. People mm-hmm. get tired of this, and 
and then maybe she would have have an opportunity. I, I now I I hear you on that, and I think change is the one constant, but I don't see it changing back to the Liz Cheney's of the world, the the GOP that we we talk about here. I think the the, the way it's evolving right now to me moves in the other direction. I think the successes we've seen, we see the Ron DeSantis's right now who is running on the Trump playbook and expanding it in many ways. He is having great public success. It looks like he's going to win. I think you look, I look at what's happening. Oh, he's going to be reelected as to he's whether gonna, he's, he's going to be, be the nominee. That's he'll be reelected issue. in Florida. I mean, you look yeah. in Georgia right now, Liz Cheney got destroyed. Herschel right. Walker, he may win the Senate race in, uh, in Georgia. And I think you see Herschel Walker, God bless, is a nightmare on paper, an absolute nightmare on paper. He's he is he may not be from there. He has domestic abuse allegations. Uh, he's railing at trees. He has no coherent uh, mindset, and he's a kind of pathological liar. And yes, see that, that. But but you see, this is why uh, what's going to happen. Trump may have gotten some of these people picked to be, to win the nomination. But there's going to be a harsh judgment if, in fact, the Republicans don't capture the Senate. And it'll be a reflection on Trump and the, and some of the really horrible candidates. I, I think I've been saying this for a couple months to you on, on, on this podcast, that I'm not convinced they're going to win the Senate. I mean, they still could win the Senate. It's unlikely, in my opinion, because they have bad candidates. Uh, but on the other hand, if you look out in Colorado, there's this, I don't even know the guy's name, there's a guy emerging out there who's challenging the incumbent in Colorado who's just, he's thrown the Trump playbook out the window. Uh, he's more of a moderate guy, um, and it's interesting to see him rise. See, I think that people like Liz Cheney, and I know a lot of them, the people that are involved in creating this third party, most of them are Republicans. They've kind of they're fed up with all this stuff, and I think the time will come when it'll change. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. What I hope is that we're going to be able to get the two parties to sit down and actually reach agreement on some things, you know. And I'm not convinced of that either because everybody's so locked in. Yeah, I see. Again, I look at that Herschel Walker race. Yeah, and I do see him on paper being a candidate that no rational believer in wanting to hire somebody to get something done votes for. Uh, in fact, there's elements of that race that make me very sad that the GOP has put Herschel Walker up for this race. Nevertheless, the fact that it's so neck and neck to me, people are just voting out of partisan anger. That yeah, is just it, a straight, exactly right. it's a straight partisan anger vote. That 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 character in and of himself isn't bringing new people on. It's just people who are that angry. And so when you see that, yeah, it's like that is the only thing that seems to be moving. And and so you have no, to look but, at. Okay, but think about that race in Michigan where the Democrats put money in to defeat the person who was independent, the Republican who was not part of Trump, and they put money in to elect a guy who was pro-Trump. I mean, yeah. you see what I, I mean? I'm saying there's a disease here. It's, it, oh. you know, it's it's terrible. Oh, I think... I yeah, I agree with you. I think it's I think I think they're playing they're playing dirty and all get out. There's part of me that is like, if that's the game, play that game. I think we've talked a lot about this. That conversation yeah. we had with Tim Miller. Yeah. It what what broke my heart about it was just how openly and coldly he talks about the gamified nature of the the politics. And I don't see a structure that that pulls us away from it. And I think it's curious. I think you're right. The Republicans may suffer 
big losses this midterms. But I wonder if they're going Only to be big enough. Only in the enough. Senate race. Yeah. Only and in the Senate. But be, that, yeah. So they could win the House, lose the Senate. But I right. don't think that's going to be a come to Jesus moment for him. I think, I mean, Trump didn't win the popular vote. He lost the House. He lost the Senate. And yet, like, there, there's never that that come to Jesus moment of we need to get back to these things because, you know, we, like, yeah, I think the infrastructure is built to amplify these voices and the base, the base is, is got the taste for it right now. Well, and I, I was think, talking, think they, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine last night about, cause somebody was saying, you know, Biden's going strong at, against the Republicans and he's taken on the MAGA crowd and a guy who's a, a keen analyst, he thinks the mega base is about, the numbers are about 20% of the party. I tend to agree with that. That means there's 80% that don't like it, they're fed up with it. But what happens is it's that partisanship that keeps pulling people back, you know. It's like I've been fighting to get out and they keep <laughs> pulling me back. Yeah. yeah. That old that old mafia movie. And um, so I, I'm just suggesting to you things are going to look a much different. Maybe not so much in 24, but look, the Republican Party, there is – and the other thing about them is they don't really have any issues. It's just negative right now against Democrats. That – that's just not going to last. That's just not going to, it's not going to work. So I think you're going to see change coming. Now, maybe I'm just an optimist I'm, and I don't want there to be, you know, a civil war in America. And I look at that or destroying all these institutions. I mean, a lot of that is sort of, um, it, it's just out, it's just kind of um, clickbait in a way. I'm more optimistic. I, I know I'm more optimistic than you are about this. Sure. Stuff. I, yeah. I do think things will settle down. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. The, I, I'm obsessed with the book right now, Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. And it's, it came out in 1985, but it's very much about now. And it's, 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 it's based off of Marshall McLuhan's idea that the medium is the message. And it really looks at like the history of television, how that shapes how we think, it shapes our culture, and it shapes how we, we have our discourse in this country. And now you can extrapolate onto that what the internet has done and social media and what have you. And I think... To me, when I, I think there is rational thought to be had out there. There's there's interesting people in the middle who who I think you are right. I don't know what those MAGA numbers are, but I'm sure there's many uh, traditional Republicans who want nothing to do with it. The thing that I have no faith in is the medium. And I think the medium of all of these conversations is so limiting and it only feeds the worst of our character. It feeds the fear. It feeds the hyperbole, it feeds the outrageous. And so the conversations that we have, the good ones, the ones that are on the podcast, uh, those conversations are mostly happening through a medium that has no interest and doesn't validate any kind of nuance, any kind of moderation. And so, so the, the future of the party, the future of this country coming together has to exist in a place where the discourse can be valid and nuanced. Well, you know, that that's just back to this thing I keep bringing up, and that is, is the middle just too boring? You yep. know, and I think, is, and that's, new, and is nuance too boring? So so what do you do about it, you know? Because I think people are hearkening. I hear a lot of people say, I just wish I could turn on the news and just get the straight news, you know? I hear that all the time. But then what do they listen to? They, I was gonna say, what do they watch? I, I but, say it, but but I don't think people actually... There, our animal brains say we want that, and we know it's good for us. We know we want vegetables, but when we have burgers and pizza there every hour of the day, and it's so easy, they're delicious burgers that are right there. The yeah. pizza is within arm's reach. We keep going to it, and it's you know, 
I, I hate it. I, I hate my Twitter obsession with it all. I know what I want uh, and I, what I need, but still I'm drawn to the the tawdry. I'm drawn to the crazy thing. What was the newest thing? What is the thing that I'm missing? And so I I even as I speak about moderation, even as we engage in a podcast about like the nuance within the middle, I think our brains are being reconfigured to be drawn to the entertainment. And I think that's even the, the thesis of this book yeah, is that the ener- it's, it all is couched in entertainment. It all becomes show business. And when, if it's all entertainment, then the, the actual discourse, it's got to be entertaining. You know, you just, no, I think really the question is, how does somebody who, and we talk about the middle, I don't mean the middle being boring, okay, but I mean, it can be, it's not, right, it's not lighting us up. Uh, but it's got to be incumbent on those people who are that way, people like you or me. We got to figure out how to make, uh, you know, common sense seem to seem interesting and exciting. I mean, there's got to be a way to do it. The lady who used to write for the Financial Times, I think it was, said to me one day, asked me a question. This was a couple of years ago, and I've thought about it ever since. She said, if you can ever explain to me how being in the middle is not boring, please call me. And I haven't placed a call to her yet. I mean, do you think, look, do you think part of it is the way in which we personally present, perhaps? Yeah. Um, what do you think? I mean, I mean it, I, it's it's a certain style. I mean, you don't nec- it may not be the substance. It could be a lot of it is the style that gets people's attention. What do you think I, of that? I I think I think that's I think that's could be spot on because I I will say even just from a comedian's perspective, I think a grand magic trick of comedy is that it's very accessible and you can get your vegetables through a comedic perspective. I went to Hungary to look at Viktor Orban and what's happening in uh, internally with a democracy over there. And that aired on Comedy Central. <laughs> There's a lot of people who find that very boring, but I think we're presenting it in a comedic sense. And yeah. so- How, the how med- were the numbers then? Did it work? I think it worked well enough. It was well received. Um, you know, I think again, but if we're looking at what the medium is, I think the numbers were good. It was well received. It got to have some interesting conversations around what is happening in Hungary. I honestly, I think it's a magic trick that people are engaging with Hungarian politics through comedy. And yet, still the way to get more eyes on it, like functionally, it airs on a network. Uh, It needs clicks. It needs eyeballs. To do that, you need little bits and pieces that are uh, quick, funny, uh, more outrageous than perhaps what the whole thing is. Like still the yeah. whole medium in and of itself is asking you for something that can be clickbait so that it draws you in to have more depth of uh, understanding, I suppose. So I do think, but I think you're right. We need to, you need to consider the the middle might be boring. There might need, need to be a different way in which we present it. And actually I want to throw to you. I think there's actually in a an issue I think Americans have started to conflate campaigning with governing and it's it's every like I don't think the the function and the effects of governing is understood by most Americans and the the gamification of uh the left versus the right and these these presidential elections are now four year events makes everybody see it just in terms of the race and not of the function of government and and that I think is becoming foggy in a way that that you're having people voting against their own interests because they they don't ever think about what the actual governing entails. They're only thinking about the the race. Well, that's why it seems so crazy to me that Trump ever was was nominated, and why all of us who were on the stage with him all those times we just figured at some point he'd flame out because there wasn't any any realistic governing connected to to his campaign. 
And um, Jordan, I know you're, you're going you're gonna to kind of laugh at this, but you know, had I had things broken a little differently, um, I could have won that prime. I could have won that nomination. I couldn't get the money, and uh, it wasn't the ideas that were. I I'll tell you, I learned over time. It wasn't the issues of cutting taxes or anything. It was the issue of a personal connection to people who were hurting, who just wanted somebody to care about them. And listen, I went from 1% name ID in New Hampshire to beating everybody but Trump. And think about the, how much money these people had. Uh, I think, and then I went to the South where I wasn't known. And I, and I think what happens to a lot of people who are the contributors is what they do is they're not going to support Kasich. Nobody knows who the hell Kasich is. They're going to support a, a brand name. And so it's so hard to raise that money. However, you know, I came north and things started to change. And in Ohio, where, you know, I mean, I really smoked him in Ohio, and which you would expect, but I was governor, but he still could have lost. Look what happened to Rubio in Florida. He got destroyed down there. I'm saying to you that the certain ingredients, the certain chemistry that a person can project. Um, and and by the way, Biden won because he was in the middle. And I think it was that Scranton blue collar kind of, I get you. I think it's, you know, but I think it's that you, you just touched on it. We're, we're on to something. I can't figure out exactly what it is. When you're going to present something that is rational, you got to do it in such a way that people, that it connects the people it makes it connects to people and gets them excited. I don't quite know how to do it. I mean, I think or I, I, didn't I win. see element. I see elements of that race with you against Trump. And the thing that I understand and can empathize most with with voters is, you know, you're voting for a third term of Barack Obama. Uh, it's it's really hard. People people don't have faith in government, and the idea of somebody who can quote unquote shake it up or an outsider is always something that's appealing yeah. in American politics, especially after eight years of one party rule. And I look at something like this and Trump, for for all of the things that he is, he felt like the big outsider who would shake it yeah, up. And that's, and that's so, exactly right. That's and I exactly I, right. And I and I see the successes of Biden, too. Yes. Baked in it is this blue collar Scranton yeah. guy. But I think still it's this world of Trump where we had chaos. It's people who wanted comfort and yeah, he some provided return to normalcy. Yeah, right. and so some and, and return I, to boring, right? Some return to boring. It, exactly. Sure. Yeah. That that there's enough people there, and it got the numbers out where people are voting against Trump, and I hate it. And you don't want to make it all about this stupid guy, but I do see the tradition, the the, the politics of connecting with people will never go away. But I, but these larger ideas feel like they're more in play than ever before, and I don't see. They, they have a bigger card to play. I don't see Herschel Walker connecting with people. What no, I see is no. they see him hating the same thing, and that is such a driving force in American politics I think politics they saw him right running now. down the field and scoring touchdowns because, you know, we are football insane, as you know, in, <laughs> we this, are. in this country. We I'm like starting a good, to believe like that a celebrity. I'm starting to believe that college football is really not college football. It's the minor leagues for the NFL. Mm -hmm. By the way, I wanted to commend something to you. Um there is a show on HBO Max, and you may have seen it. It is a show about, it's called John Adams, and coincidentally, it's about John Adams. I don't know if you've seen it. I it's, have. I, yeah. That, it isn't came, it fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it came out a decade ago, Governor. This, I know, is, are you, I know. Is this, are you catching up? Well, I got it. You got to check out a show called it. The here's, Sopranos. Here's, here's, how I, here's how I found it. 
I went to Zanesville, which is a small little town. Um, it's not really so small anymore, about 30,000. And it was connected to a town called Marietta. And David McCullough, the great, the great historian, wrote about all of this. And I went to Zanesville, and it was amazing. You know, the anti-slavery movement in Zanesville. The, I mean, so many things that were really exciting about that little town. And I just went over there because I told this, I made a, a pledge that I would go and learn about it. And in the middle of it, somebody said, hey, you got to see the John Adams uh, documentary. And I pulled it up. And my wife have been and I have been watching it. But doesn't it just inspire you in terms of, you know, the way these people, you know, George Washington, and he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be president. He was a humble man. And the way that Adams had so much fire and Ben Franklin, who was the ultimate politician, right? I mean, it, for people who haven't seen it, even though it's old, it'll never be too old because it's history, is this thing on uh, on HBO Max. But do you remember seeing it? Oh, I, mean, I, I loved it. I, I remember I, I watched it and I went out, I was like, I'm going to read this book. And I saw how big the John Adams book was. And I was like, did McCullough write anything else about this time period? And so I, <laughs> I read 1776, which is like 200 pages. And it's right. great. It focuses on one year. It's a great focus. And I think, yes, honestly, and an undervalued piece of American history that should be taught more in school is uh, George Washington's farewell address. And and basically somebody stepping down from the idea of an ultimate king, I think, is uh, a remarkable piece of it history really that is. we should look to. Uh, and I honestly, I've, I've I love that time period. I've become obsessed with that in my, my years. Well, I will I, say this. Let, let, let me let me give you, though, a hot take, though. What have I said? Founding fathers. I'm not that into him anymore. You're not. I'm not that into him anymore. No. I'm getting a, I'm kind of kind of grumpy about founding father. Everybody oh, pointing right. back we went to through this on that Fourth of July discussion. I'm, I'm getting grumpy about it. I'm yeah, getting grumpy. I, I I understand, <laughs> that, but the concept there's there's so much that we we hide behind like and try to decipher the mindset of people who lived 200 years before us in a way, yeah. especially in the Supreme Court way. That I'm like I'm 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 so frustrated by how much energy is put into deciphering the mindset of smart men at the time, but who had the biases of 1700s America. Yeah. And, and I think our country has like such a, a need to, to, to hide behind actual dialogue because we, we, we point to, well, what are these we guys want? We want our heroes, Jordan. We want our heroes. You know, we, we do, want but we, things... we're afraid to engage with the big conversation of like, what do we want right now? And so much of that is like, well, what did they say? Well, guns, let's decipher it. Oh, and I, yeah. I know that's the way our, our system is set up, but there's part of me that's like, guys, can we just talk about right now? What do we want to do with guns? You know what? Let's talk about women's rights. What do we want to do with it? it you want to know what they did back in the 1700s? Women were half yeah. citizens. They really weren't part of the equation. Let's really not try to decipher no, I, I, if there was some I, note. I, you know, the only thing I picked up from him was the courage and the and the fact that they were willing to put their lives on the line for the country. And but I'm not. We're not. I'm not taking. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. Forget <laughs> it. Okay, let's I, talk about midterms. Casey, right say it right now. The founding fathers overrated. I love the founding fathers. All right. How about the midterms? So I think that. It's really questionable as to whether the Republicans do win the Senate. I do think they will win the House, despite what the media is saying now about how close it is. I'm going to predict that they win probably, I'm going to say, 25 seats in the House, which will be enough to give a majority. 
But whoever the speaker is in the Republican Party in a house that's that close, oh my goodness, it'll be a it'll be just like a nightmare for them. They're, they're, they're what do you think is going to happen? But I, you, you have a better sense than I do. I think I'm just I'm trying to read the tea leaves. It it feels like emotionally the Democrats they're with with Roe with Biden yeah. successes and with some of these characters that the Republicans have put up. It does feel like the Democrats have a good fighting chance. Uh, I'm hearing these this talk of impeach Biden if they get the House. What do, what do you think of that? Oh, I mean, that's, that's insanity. It's insanity. <laughs> no, but I, but I have, I'm not. Are you, are you, you, are you what's, betting what's, against that? What, where were you finding this, this talk about impeaching Biden? Here's where the, did if you, you? If you uh, plug it into the Internet, you'll find a site that tells you you're right. I, it's and so I found that there there's there was a, a couple articles <laughs> about folks in the party are talking. About, I mean, they've already. There are there are fringe characters who are, have already brought, brought uh, impeachment up for a vote. In the I House. will say that there are there are a lot more wacky people in the part Republican Party right now than the Democratic Party. I don't. I just don't. You know. Again, I'm. I guess it's because I've been around so long that I realize that the institutions provide a safety uh, valve for for our country. You still but believe in I, those? They're not going to impeach Biden. <laughs> I mean, you're, tell me they're going to. Now, I think they will. I mean, the thing that will be bad is that they will start all these investigations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it'd be Hunter Biden. I don't I don't know who else. I mean, they may. Who knows? Maybe they'll investigate you for something. I don't I don't. I'll I'd try to it. stop. You know, I'll try <laughs> to stop that. Though. See what you can do. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Tell me this. We, we, we've talked on this podcast about. The FBI investigation, call it a raid, whatever you yeah, want to call it. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up to you. I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I think more information has come out. You were very skeptical. Well, I mean, about... there's no, 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 no. I'm, I was just saying I want to withhold judgment because I'm concerned. I was saying that I think that sometimes people look through the raid through the lens of whether they like or dislike Donald Trump. I look at the raid as I think about civil liberties and how would I like to be treated or my neighbor or whatever. Look, I mean, first of all, I don't know why he has all these boxes of stuff. I mean, what is, what, we know he didn't read any of them when he was president. So, I mean, what is he reading them in his spare time? And to have these documents, and we don't know what they all are yet, but what these documents in a place where people are passing through all the time. And by the way, if there was counterintelligence information, the possible identification of our foreign agents— of course, they had to go in. They yeah. had to go and grab it. Um, I just, I just, I mean, it just looks doesn't look good for him, and I don't like it, and I don't like what he's done. But I'm willing to see what they have. And here's what I do, I do get concerned about. I hope that the FBI has stuff. I hope they do, because if it's just something that's not that serious, or just you know mingling some documents or whatever, that becomes a serious problem for the institution. But, it, you know, if he's got these, these highly classified information, you can't just let it sit there. Somebody can grab it and they can use it against our country. That's how <laughs> I feel about it. It's in a golf club. That's what's, in, what's yeah. nuts about it. He's keeping it at a golf club. And they just released that picture last night of uh, all those top secret documents. Have you seen this picture that came I, out? I haven't. Where, is that real? They, they. I think that's real. I think the Justice Department put it out partially because, you know, I think internally there's a lack of response is filled with Trump's 
nonsense there. So they've they've put out a a picture of some of the materials that they got, sort of highlighting how obviously top secret these doc these documents are very they very clearly look top secret. They are bold letters, different color. It's it's why. I'm like, I don't think he's reading these documents, but if he's ever going to grab documents and take home, it's going to be the ones that look closest to a picture book. And that's what these <laughs> documents look like. And so they have it like spread out. On, the, the setting is very strange. It almost looks like it's on a bedspread, but but it, it shows there's a legitimate amount of big documents that very clearly say, hey, if you're not president right now, don't take these home with you. And, I, uh, I, 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 you know, I. I don't think I had any documents like that when I was governor. I would never have taken anything out of there that would be I, uh, I, you know. And I, when I was on the Armed Services Committee, I had an opportunity to look at some stuff that was highly classified. I never would have dreamt of writing something down, taking it out of the. I mean, you know, look. I mean, it's it's what is no that? other no other president has done it. Well, can you walk me through that a little bit? You don't have to tell me what the material is, but yeah. is that functionally you go into a room and you're told you can't leave it, this room? How Mission Impossible-like is it? Depends what, it depends what the level of it is. And I did not serve on the Intelligence Committee, and that's where you saw the really super, super secret stuff. Um, but we did get briefings about things that were you're not supposed to get out and talk about, and it had to be protected. Um but there's very different levels of classification on these things. And there is a level above top secret. And that involves, you know, like critically sensitive information. And I think that's what a lot of people are waiting to see. Not a lot of people, but many people are waiting to see what did he actually have in his possession. Mm -hmm. And and that's where that's where I look, it's not about Trump. It's it, to me, it's about it's about the civil liberties issue. And, you know, it's it's sort of like the FBI or and look the compelling thing on this is you had both the you had both the head of the Justice Department and the head of the FBI that signed off on this at the highest levels and what people say is if they're doing it at the highest levels then uh, you know then then there had to be legitimacy to it they weren't going to just go into that place right this was not some cavalier approach which mm -hmm. makes it compelling which does make it compelling so I'm still waiting to see how everything comes out, but I mean, the guy is just completely irresponsible. And let's face this, he didn't do anything at the end of the day, it looks like to me, that he did in the interest of the country, not in the interest of himself. He may be, I'm going to say it, this might be as outrageous as my founding father's claim, but Donald Trump, he may be in it for himself. <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to say it. I'm willing to go there. This is... If you're listening to this podcast, that's the kind of hot truths that I'm dropping 45 minutes into a podcast. You're getting that kind of stuff. So how about the, we're just wrap up here in a few minutes. So so the fall is coming. You know, it just it, it kills me. I've never been a big fan of the fall. And people are like, oh, my God, I love the fall. My problem with the fall is I don't know when it starts and when it ends because it ends in winter, which is not exactly my favorite season. My favorite seasons are spring and summer. In the fall, they say, oh, it's the rustling of leaves. It's the crackling fire. It's the football and all that. And what I think is, yeah, there's a few days that are nice in the fall, but I'm not a fall guy. I'm sorry. This is... Okay, now, I thought, I thought what I said about the Founding Fathers was, <laughs> was going to cross the line. But this your, is really, your yeah. take on the fall, I wow. am going to get killed wow. for this. I know. <laughs> you love I can't, the fall, don't you? I can't believe you went there. What is it? Is it because it's election season? Is it PTSD? 
You know, it's 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 that I know that all of a sudden I can't wear shorts and t-shirts, and all of a sudden I got to be bundling up, and I can't figure out what I'm going to wear. Oh, and all. Yeah, Governor, know. this is you and I share the same lanky demeanor. The fall is where we thrive. I. You, that nobody you wants think? to see us. Okay, yes. t- give it to me. Try to convince me. Let me I, convince you. you. Could, I could come back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is perfect for you, Governor. All right. You're a big, tall, lanky man. I'm a big, tall, lanky man. Yeah. Nobody wants to see us in short sleeves. The best we can do is a collared shirt, look like we're going to go play golf. And shorts, forget about it. Our knees, <laughs> our long calves, it's just, it's abomination. It's like a, a giraffe attempting to walk through the streets of Columbus. Now, our only fighting chance is to adorn that lanky frame with long sleeve shirts, a Henley, perhaps well-tailored pants, uh, and a nice ankle-length uh, boot. That, that looks like a professional person. And the suits, you and I both benefit from. You get a nice suit, you put on a suit. Yeah, we look yeah. good in suits. We yeah, were built point. to wear suits. They just they, they dangle off tall people. It works well for us. So the fall, yeah. the fall is when the temperature is our friend. The fall says, hey, it's 75 degrees. We don't want to see you sweat. You're a tall, lanky person. You don't look good sweating. We're not going to put you in shorts. I'm with you. But what about when it's like 40? 40 is tough. Now you're you're going heavier layers, which I think we could still own. This is what a lanky frame does. It gives you the ability to... To layers, layers are our friends. So, so embrace that. And yeah, but the problem is, Jordan, I take them off and then I forget to take put them back on, and I lose stuff. You see what oh, I mean? I can't help you with. And this. then how about it's, when? How about when you get into the, when you get those early early snows? You know, you say, okay, is it winter now? No, it's not really. It's still fall, and you have slush. And then what do you wear? You know, Wait, like, I mean, what kind of boots do you wear? I mean, what all, do you do? Your issue I'm, is that you're losing clothing, like. <laughs> what is, what is your life? You're like, are you running through the streets of Columbus just taking off hats? Or you you're going yeah, into exactly. a Ruby Tuesdays and you're leaving coats <laughs> on the back? Tuesdays. You're getting getting caught up. In I don't. The are they fries? still? Exi- you still have Ruby Tuesdays in New York? I guess. <laughs> I'm sure. So I'm hey, sure so my daughter is as I've told you offline. My daughter has just accepted a job in New York City, and um, so tell us what you love about New York City. Tell us the about fall. It. I love the fall in New York City. It's beautiful. You get to wear layers. It's she's you know, for a lot it. of people. For a lot of people, they visit for a couple of days, and you've been there now for a number of years. And mm-hmm. I think people are always interested, intrigued by New York City. You know what goes on there. Tell us a little bit about what you love the most. You and your wife, and what do you like? What do you love the most about New York City? It's the sex parties. There's so many sex parties. Your daughter's going to love it. She's going to have a great time. It's the place to go for sex parties. It's the only reason to move to New York City is that you love the sex parties. Um, uh, outside of that, I would say, I mean, I love this. I do love this city. It is it is magnetic. It's chaotic. It is, it's full of people. And I've told you this before. It's, it's, it's full of people hustling because it's so freaking hard. Uh, it's so loud. It's so fast. It's so expensive. And if you're here, you're here for a reason. And so you have a lot of driven people who are constantly bouncing off one another because rent is so high, nobody has space. Therefore, everybody congregates in that space. And I think there's actually something that's very beautiful and democratic about New York City. Somebody once said what they liked about New York as opposed to L.A. is that everybody takes the subway as opposed to L.A. Everybody's alone in a car. And it is true. You get on a New York subway. It may smell, it's weird, but everybody takes the subway. And that's the the billionaire is hopping on the subway as is is the person who's trying to scrape together a change for a cup of coffee. And you all share the same sweat, the same experience. And I do think there's something communal and lovely about like, 
New Yorkers are in it together. It's a great big struggle and everybody has their own, but you're kind of in this struggle together. So I, I love New York City. Two thumbs up. And the well, sex parties know, are the best. And I think think about that you went from Kalamazoo, which was just a small little town in Michigan, right? Well, to be fair, to, Kalamazoo is the New York no, it's City not. of Southwest Michigan. Okay, there you go. To go from Kalamazoo to Chicago to New York. It's been a very interesting trip for you, hasn't it? It's been very, I, it's, very good. It's, it's been it's been a fun a fun trip to say the least. What about you? What's what's your take on New York City? Well, it's the center of the universe, it seems like to me. You know, it's uh there is so much happening uh there all the time. Um you know, the restaurants are great, the the, all, the art is fantastic. I mean, the concerts, nobody's going to play anywhere in the world if not coming to New York City. Um but it is it is like buzzing around all the time. Uh I like to be there. I don't know that I would like to live there, but I do like to visit. And I've been there many 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 times over the years and I enjoy, I actually enjoy walking the streets and it's 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 great. It's a great town and I'm excited for my daughter going to uh she's going to be going from Chicago to New York City and my other daughter's in Boston. And so um pretty interesting, which means we have a lot of airplane flights and um Coming up here over it's the also, period it's a of the next drive. couple of years. I've done the drive. I, I went Chicago to New York. That drive, that Columbus drive, you could make it here in nine hours. Uh, nine hours. Easy. Yeah. Nine a, hours. A, just on one road through Pennsylvania. There's... Yeah, I know. It, it, like it never ends. <laughs> well, listen, I, it's great to talk to you today. And I hope our people uh, enjoyed this kind of what this mismatch or, of what all these things we covered today, and uh, we'll do it again. And I think coming up, I think we're going to have both a Republican and a Democratic pollster to do a review for us of these of these midterm elections, which I think would be very interesting. People yeah. want to tune in for that. I'm excited to see. There's a lot of, a lot of big politics coming up, and we got some really fun guests coming up too. So, uh, yeah, to all those folks exactly. listening, thank you guys for listening. We got some some fun things in store. Hey, everybody. Jordan here, uh, your favorite host of the Kasich Klepper podcast. Thank you for listening this far. If you like what you hear, click like or thumbs up or whatever icon signifies a positive reaction. We love your ratings. We love your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about because I'm tired of answering the governor's questions and I just prefer to answer yours. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Kasich and Klepper is a production of Treefort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. Treefort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kugler. Line producer is Oscar Guido. Associate producer, Lee Albanese. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for Treefort, with production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Sound editing by Abigail Sullivan. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Lindsay Whistler, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by ACAST. <laughs>